Welcome to Singing Teachers Talk, the podcast that brings you great interviews, insightful discussions and advice around the topic of singing and teaching singing. Now it's over to your host for today's episode. It's me, Alexa Terry. Hi there, it's Alexa here and my guest today is a metal singer and vocal coach who teaches across many different styles. She studied with New York Vocal Coaching and is now involved in helping train their coaches in extreme vocals, as well as delivering masterclasses on distortion for music schools across the United States and the UK. This is going to be a good one. Aliki Katriou, welcome to Singing Teachers Talk. It's a real pleasure to get to chat with you today. How are you? I'm okay. It's so cool to kind of get to talk to somebody in an area that I am a total beginner in. This is really out of my kind of comfort zone and knowledge. So I can't wait to learn from you. Um, But first of all, I'm so interested in your journey into metal land um, because you started your singing training in classical. Yes. So how did that go? (laughs) What was it that kind of drew you in the direction of metal singing? Hmm. <laughs> Contemplates the world. Um, I I always loved metal and I was always a metal head. I started buying metal albums and primarily listening to metal around 11. So pretty early on. I think the classical singing was more the detour <laughs> right. than the metal singing, even though I still continue it to this day and I love it. Um, I have lessons every Wednesday, <laughs> but um, but basically, I started singing. I joined a whole bunch of like choirs and musical theatre shows and anything that was available in my city at the time, anything I could get my hands on. And I wanted to take singing lessons um, and I wanted to take singing lessons because I felt like the higher I went in my range, the more comfortable and effortless everything was. Um, and everyone just wanted me to sing in chest voice. And I really disliked this and it was very uncomfortable for me. And so I asked my mother and I'm like, I want to sing really high where I'm comfortable. And she was like, well, classical singers will let you sing high potentially. So I was like, great, find me one. And she did. Um, So I started like that. And at the same time as my classical singing lessons, I was doing all the weird musical theater shows. And I was also in a metal band. Um, And I first figured out how to make weird monster sounds through my classical singing. Right. Without telling my teacher. (laughs) (laughs) On the sly. Well, I mean, it's always important not to tell your teacher if you've figured out that they're biased in some way towards anything. You're just like, that's great. I'll do that. And I just won't tell you about it. Uh, So that's kind of the way I live life. Um, So I did that. And that went well. Um, My classical singing teacher was fabulous in the sense that she never told me not to do something and i bring in all these metal singers i'm like listen to this and she was like that's fabulous and i don't know how to help you and i was like that's all i need to know (laughs) thank you um and then i went on a weird detour 
of looking at contemporary singing because I thought that maybe what I wanted was chest voice because I wanted to sing really high up in like really piercing ways. Um, and then I listened to a whole bunch of singing teachers and singers singing live in person. And then I was like, yeah, no, I definitely don't want chest voice <laughs> to get to the metal stuff. And so then I started taking singing lessons specifically for metal. Didn't quite get what I wanted. And my teacher wanted me to detour into distortions and weird noises. So I just did that. Um, and it was easy for me to find <laughs> um, in the sense that I could just make the sounds. Um, but as a metalhead, the quality of the sound was completely unacceptable to me. I was like, that is not usable. But if you, you know, if I did that to a non-metal head, they'd be like, wow, that's really impressive. But it's like, no, that's wrong. <laughs> it's not what I want it to be. And then I went down a massive rabbit hole <laughs> from there. I mean, I guess I was down a massive rabbit hole from the beginning, uh, but it got even worse. <laughs> aye, aye. But yeah, and I just kind of growled my frustrations away. <laughs> until I figured out my original target, which was doing a compressed head voice very high up and had nothing to do with chest voice. And how did you find, um, or how are you finding a chest voice that you like, that feels comfortable? Was it about imitation and learning or was there someone or something specific that you found that kind of ticked the box for you? So, I'm still trying to find a chest voice that for me is satisfactory. I, I like, I like chest voice up to a G4. The minute it goes higher, I, I don't like it when I do it. I don't like it when I hear it from other singers aesthetically. I just don't like it. Um, so I'm, I struggle with that. Um, I, it relates a lot for me, it relates to the lyrics. So if it makes sense in my mind that one might want to use that much effort or that much weight, smooth sailing, no problems, don't mind it when people do it either. I'm just like, yes! But if it's the average song on planet Earth, I'm like, no, too much effort, no, just no. <laughs> so I primarily, I primarily sing in M2, if you will, mm. um, regardless of the fact that most human beings on planet Earth would think that I'm singing in M1. It's M2. And you say there that you, you're singing predominantly in that M2, that head voicey, falsetto-y area. Mm. Um, do you still visit classical singing? Do you, and is any of that usable in this kind of cross-training sort of Thing. I do still visit classical. I mean, I I have my lessons every Wednesday, so yay. Uh, so every Wednesday I'm singing like that. Oh, you um, still got those every Wednesday. Nice. Oh, yes. <laughs> Always. <laughs> Never stop lessons. Yeah. It depends on the subgenre. So if the subgenre of metal is symphonic metal, you're probably going to have to end up in some 
classical-esque head voice. It's not classical at all, but it's the closest thing. Um, I use it when I am growling and screaming uh, mostly. That's that's when I use it. Um, but I've had to unlearn the majority of it, I would say. I had to get rid of because it just wasn't usable. For me and for other listeners who might be totally new to this, um, you've mentioned a few things there, growling and screaming. Can you explain what extreme vocals are and what comes under that umbrella? So extreme vocals fall under the umbrella of vagueness, like everything with voice, <laughs> where it's like, great. I wish um, there were rules, man. <laughs> yeah. So online, if you're kind of floating around the Wikipedia universe level thing, so trash, trashy <laughs> levels of research, basically. Uh, the levels of, you know, I searched for it. I did no research. That level of searching, yay. Um, you'll probably find them under the broad kind of umbrella term of extended vocal techniques. Um, for me, extreme vocals are anything that generate weird noises that a normal singing teacher would hear have a microscopic heart attack and then say, don't do that. And I'm like, yes, let's do that. <laughs> let's do that constantly. So it's that. And it can be distortions. So anything that messes up the sound so that you've got a higher noise to signal ratio and there's more noise in the sound than anything else, ideally. Um, but in certain kind of realms of existence, I mean, some people think that whistle falls under that category, like whistle register. Some people put yodeling under it. Basically, all the outliers, all the vocal outliers that are weird are the extended vocal techniques. By extreme, I'm usually referring to the distortions. And what are the, the uh, misconceptions about these sounds? Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, sorry, like we need uh, to book in an hour, yeah. <laughs> um, so I guess the biggest misconception is that they're unhealthy in some way or that they're damaging. Another misconception is that they're natural because infants produce them. Like, oh, babies make weird sounds, therefore we naturally can make these sounds and we've forgotten how to. And you're like, no, infants have irrelevant anatomy to an adult. Mm. No, <laughs> on every level, just no. To Across the board in general, to anyone who makes the argument of, you know, oh, babies can do this or children can do this. It's like, yeah, no. <laughs> not applicable to an adult, mm. very different anatomy. They even have separate doctors. Like if something goes wrong with your child, you do not take it to a normal doctor. You take it to one who specializes in children because their anatomy is weird. So <laughs> that's a huge misconception. Um, I guess out, outside the realms of people who make these kind of sounds or who listen to this kind of music a lot, 
a very common misconception is that it's achieved through effects on the microphone or whatever effect where you're like, no, <laughs> definitely not. No. Um, but that's a really common one, a really common one. Like I, I often encounter people who have seen like a video of me singing or have heard a recording and they're like, yeah, the effects on the microphone. And I'm like, I, I can do it right now. <laughs> what effects? There's nothing on the mic. Yeah. It depends on which circles of humanity uh, mm -hmm. you're listening to. I guess like a very common one within the realms of the people who do what I do, very common misconception is that distortions and generally all those noises do not involve your true vocal folds. It's like, yeah, they do. All of them do. Because <laughs> again, signal, physics, what are you going to distort? Mm. You have to distort something. So there has to be a signal to distort. So you need the vocal folds to participate in order to distort them. Yay. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> great. And uh, I guess it's kind of forgivable that when they've got names like fry, growl, scream, the attachment to that of being dangerous or unhealthy, you can kind of understand yeah. with that sort of uh, label. But when somebody is interested in learning this, um, these sounds, but they have got that fear. How do you help to ease their mind and show them that it is okay, that it can be done healthily? Is it more on demonstration? Do you show them through kind of visuals or anything like that? So it depends on what their fear is and where the fear is stemming from. For most people, the fear actually is only generated by their singing teachers. So it's only the, the authority kind of fallacy, which is, you know, a perceived figure of authority made a statement and therefore it is held to be true. And you're like, <laughs> it's like, why is it held to be true? Just because a figure of authority said so. You're like, and that is a logical fallacy. Yay, great. Um, but that's a very common one. And that one is very easy to alleviate because you can, it's lazy, but you can legitimately they just say, yeah, no, that's not accurate. And then you've got one figure of authority saying something, another figure of authority clashing. So it equals out. Mm. That's the lazy route. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think a very common thing is to, as in a useful kind of strategy, is to highlight the singers who are in their 60s, 70s and are still doing it. So the idea that longevity is an option within these techniques. Classical singing helps alleviate a lot of people's fears. So very often, if you tell people, you know, oh, head voice is still sounding fine, they're like, oh, oh, and you're like, why would that make a difference? But it does. Um, and from then on, just a lot of anatomy lessons. <laughs> a lot of speaking with anatomy, physics, just a lot of education behind it. Can you give us some examples of um, singers, bands that use these effects so that we can go and have a listen in our own time to these in, in uh, display for us? First of all, almost everyone, 
<laughs> just as a starting point, like literally almost everyone. Um, I would say it is much, much rarer to hear a singer who isn't using these effects. And if they aren't using these effects, they're probably a classical singer, a musical theatre singer, or someone doing karaoke. Anyone else <laughs> is probably doing a weird noise at some point in life. Uh, so, I mean, Michael Jackson is a great starting point. Michael Jackson, if you go Earth Song and you go like after the bridge, like two minutes in, he's going to do two minutes non-stop of absolute mayhem vocally. There's nothing clean in there for two minutes. Great. Um, if we're looking more on the metal side of things, good people to gravitate towards would be a band called Fit for an Autopsy. He's very skilled. If you're interested in listening to the extreme weird sounds that a human voice can make, Cattle Decapitation is fantastic. He's all over the place. Um, if you're looking for more controlled <laughs> than cattle decapitation um, and more consistency, if you're looking for a relaxed thing, go to Opeth. It's pretty lazy and relaxed. If you're looking for more tension, you can go towards hmm, what would be a good example? Oh, I mean, even Bring Me the Horizon can be a good example. Anatomically speaking, because I don't really do distortions based on like growl, scream, etc. When someone says I want to growl or I want to scream, my brain interprets that as I want the audience to think that I am growling or screaming or whatever, but that's not really what they're doing. Um, and so I always rely quite heavily on students having examples of, you know, yeah, when you say that, what do you have in mind? Are you thinking Slipknot or are you thinking Opeth? Because those are vastly different and not comparable in any way. Um, so mechanically and muscularly and anatomically speaking, more on the breathy dominant side, Brian Adams of light version, heavy version of that would be Opeth. Um, moving up, You've got the vocal folds, which are going to take you into Fry. So the lazy kind of version of that would be Britney Spears. The extreme version of that would be in this moment. False vocal folds, less common in pop. But if you're looking for a really good pop example, Tom Walker, Leave a Light On. That entire chorus is false vocal folds. There's nothing clean in there. It's great. Um, the extreme version of that would be fit for an autopsy, arch enemy, vast majority of metal music, basically. Then one layer above that, you've got, mm, behind that, you've got the arytenoids. But to be honest, you don't really hear those in recordings. Um, you hear them quite a bit in like uh, Beetlejuice in the musical. Mm. There's a lot of it flapping around, but a lot of other things are happening at the same time. There's just a lack of control there. Um, but yeah, you don't hear that one uh, as often. You'd have to really kind of fall down a rabbit hole of listening to uh, recordings 
of uh, Native American singers. And then you'd hear that kind of sound, but it's really difficult to find samples and examples of it. Above that, you've got your aryapoglottic folds, Michael Jackson, Kurt Cobain, a lot of rock, uh, basically. Then above that, you've got your epiglottis, Beyonce. Beyonce blues, whenever musical theatre people do a quote-unquote growl, <laughs> um, that's epiglottis. Kristen Chenoweth has some really fun moments uh, of doing that. Um, and then you also have combo distortions, which is a lot of things happening simultaneously. So it's cool to kind of know that when we're doing like even a creek onset, as you mentioned, Britney Spears, who loves a little bit of that, um, that actually that is a vocal distortion effect. It's not just yeah. exclusive to, to metal lands. Oh it's yeah, no, not at all. Yeah, it's in every genre. Mm. It's in, I would say it's, <laughs> this is a really weird uh, opinion and it's not a necessary prerequisite thing. But it is that separation between is it music or is it theater if it's theater you're not going to get much of it if it's music and that's a performer and they're doing music and they're a musician you're going to hear a whole bunch of it right but, uh, right and do you weird. have when you're with with singers who come to you and they're like i really want to learn this thing is there a particular thing that is most popular for people to want to be able to accomplish Ooh, um, I would say the two most common things uh, would be people wanting to full on full sold growl, but that's probably because I'm a metalhead and I get a lot of metalheads that are in death metal bands. Um, and the other extreme of that would be people who are really looking at like Nirvana and Soundgarden. So they're looking at Kurt Cobain, Chris Cornell. And they're like, I want a little bit of texture. Mm. So those are the two like main ones. I would say that a lot of students come in thinking that what they want is fry and what they want is false fold. Right. Can you but, explain uh, the difference between approaching those both then? How tell and what is going on in a fry compared to what's going on with false folds? So with Fry, your vocal folds need to change their vibratory pattern. So they need to go from a symmetrical vibration to a loose, floppy, chaotic vibration. Um, and like all registers, <laughs> and this is where all singing teachers here will fall off. No, I hope not. I, I hope that we're slowly, slowly getting better at reading stuff. But like all vocal registers, um, range is irrelevant. So you can maintain the vibratory pattern from the bottom to the top of your range. So you can do fry from bottom to top, head voice, bottom to top, chest voice, bottom to top of your range. It's got nothing. That's not a range specific thing. It's just the imaginary ranges that exist in people's collective imagination is that that's the range that it's easier to do it in. So fry is happier lower down. More people, if they go into fry, are gonna do it there. They're not gonna go up there. 
Like that's not very common in speech or in singing. It doesn't happen as often. So then it creates a false impression that there's some weird range limitation or something. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, so for Fry, vocal folds are getting floppy and loose and blending into each other. Um, so they're changing register, they're going into M0, and that M0 is going to be characterized by a periodic vibration and then either one or two aperiodic vibrations, which are the noise component. So there is pitch behind it. It's just a little bit difficult sometimes to discern it and hear it clearly, especially if you're not used to listening to it. <laughs> mm. All right. So it's a vocal fold uh, adjustment and the distortion is happening from the vocal folds and you need minimum breath flow and air going through the system. For false fold, your vocal folds need to come together. Uh, they can come together in any way. They can be an M0, they can be an M1, they can be an M2, you name it, they can do it. They have complete independence within quotation marks. And then your second set of vocal folds above your true vocal folds, which are your ventricular folds, otherwise known as your false vocal folds, yay, need to come together and vibrate as well. And that can sound like Mongolian throat singing or Inuit singing, or it can sound like death metal. It, you can create a ridiculous amount of tonal qualities with your false vocal folds. Um, but most of the qualities are relying and are dependent on the quality that your true vocal folds have underneath. So you control it mostly through your true vocal folds. It needs more air than Fry does, at least. But then again, clean phonation requires more air. And depending on the person, it can feel harder to do. Mm. Is it possible to hear you demonstrate them side by side? No. So, low down, Fry. Uh, if we go high. Uh, Something like that. Mm -hmm. False fold. If you're going Mongolian throat singing low down, it's going to sound like uh, that kind of thing. But for the kind of stuff that I do and the death metal stuff, you want that kind of compression because the vocal folds will be an M1. Uh, you want to let go of that compression and you want to get it looser. So you're going from uh, to a more breathy tone. And that will take you from uh, into that. So you're creating the impression that it is more chaotic and irregular. Right. And then you take that uh, throughout the entirety of your range, etc., etc. Hi. Cool. Cool. It's fun. Yeah. It, yeah. It certainly sounds like it sounds like there's a lot going on, but. The way you describe it seems so simple and you just jump into it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's fun. It's, it's very simple within quotation marks. I would say it's much easier to sustain and sing with 
Uh, first of all, it's definitely easier than singing clean, and it requires less muscular effort. Um, but the difficulty of it is finding it in the first place. That's mm. really what's difficult. Everything else after that, like after finding it and balancing out the muscular effort, everything else is smooth sailing, but finding it and balancing the muscular effort, oh, it's horrible. It's torture. Mm. It takes uh, a long time. How do you kind of get into learning this? Um, is there a specific training you need to do? Can you can you start somewhere? And if so, where would you uh, advise people to, to start if they really want to include this in their teaching? So if they want to include this in their teaching, I my advice would be Ooh. <laughs> okay. My advice would be start reading voice research. Um, take any and all books written by singing teachers and ignore them or throw them in the trash. They're not going to help. Um, figure out the anatomy. Start from anatomy and figure out what is humanly possible and what isn't. Get on Google Scholar, <laughs> find all the nice little papers. Um, there isn't a lot out there. So what you're going to have to figure out is, let's say, if you want to do the death metal growling stuff, you need to find papers on Mongolian throat singing and you need to read those. You need to find like um, Huang Gai's stuff, all his research that if it's fry, jump into the pathology, <laughs> jump into people with vocal health problems, uh, just really, really, really temporarily ignore the singing aspect of what you're trying to do. Mm -hmm. Great. That would be my advice. Um, there are some options floating around online. But it all depends on what you want, what your belief systems are, etc. Like, I have an intense antipathy towards uh, any method or technique. <laughs> I don't like it. Mm. Um, I don't like. I don't like the idea that oh, we're going to build a common vocabulary that we've made up. And we're going to use that vocabulary and we'll use it to the exclusion of everyone else. It's like, uh, eh. it's very cult-like. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't appreciate it. <laughs> Stop um, it. <laughs> and I also, it makes me worry. As in, it makes me worry, like, if you're framing, if you're framing your thinking by something made up, how movable is your thinking? How fixed is it? Like, how much are you going to try and fall into confirmation bias and get it to be like, yeah, I believe that there are, you know, seven vocal registers. How can I confirm to myself consistently that there are seven? And it's like, oh, mm. <laughs> So yeah, this might go slightly off topic here, but I know that you've just done the the critical thinking weekend with um with vocal health education, and 
I I wonder whether, um, and this might be my bias <laughs> towards the point, um, in terms of why those things exist in terms of these methodologies and these, you know, quote unquote, cults that come about. Do you think there's anything in there that these things happen because we're looking for rules and and concrete answers in a in a world where we can't ever really be sure what's totally going on so we we're trying to make it so yeah i think there's a there's definitely a lot of cultural pressure to move in that direction there's a lot of pressure to be right um most human beings are motivated by being right mm-hmm. <laughs> to a certain extent. Um, and parents kind of use the framework of right and wrong in order to train children to behave the way that they want them to, uh, which is a bit of a problem. And then religion further kind of establishes a stranglehold on right and wrong just in more extreme language, presenting the idea of like good and evil, which is like, (laughs) oh, the weight. Um, And so it creates a binary. And for a lot of people, that binary is a reality. It's very much a lived reality and a lived experience. Mm. And so you'll gravitate towards that binary because it's the only thing that you know. Mm. And unfortunately, education doesn't do a really good job at presenting things in a non-binary fashion. So, you know, you go through your school and you go through all layers of education and at the end of it, you come out thinking that there are some binaries and you're like, oh. And then you've got the problem, of course, because you belong now to this weird category of people who think that they are educated, but don't know anything. (laughs) Ah, it's terrible. (laughs) There's a wonderful book by Damasio called Descartes' Era. I don't necessarily recommend that anyone read it because it's really difficult. Um, And it's all like, oh, yeah, you know what, let's just look at the brain and let's look at all the neurochemistry and everything. And you're not you're not going to understand a word that I say in any page of this book. But the title alone of Descartes era and this just attack, so to speak, within quotation marks on dualism and the whole idea of, oh, you've got your body and you've got your mind and let's separate things and let's create nice little boxes and everything is divided in two and everything is black and white. It's like, yeah, no. Oh. <laughs> mm. And what a, what a thing with the voice is the pure example of how it's all encompassing. Um, mm. And we cannot necessarily separate quite like that. It would be great yeah. if we could. I'd like it if we could. <laughs> but It it's would be great. Not. Yeah, and it's it's interesting. I think it's just... You can live in a world of uncertainty and chaos, but you need to acknowledge that reality and life contains a lot of human beings that don't believe or don't understand in that level of uncertainty and chaos, and you're going to have to navigate conversations with them. So 
one thing that I randomly tell my students is like if someone is being excessively annoying and telling you, you know, why would you make that sound or that sound is damaging or blah, 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 blah. And you're just annoyed and you want to get rid of them. Just redirect the blame onto me. <laughs> just say, well, my teacher told me to do this or my teacher's insisting I have to do this for a period of like three months or whatever. Just make something up and just Give the blame to someone else. Give it to me. That's what I'm here for. Hi. It'll be fine. Going back to um, metal singing, um, and I mentioned at the beginning that I am a complete beginner. I, I, To my knowledge, I've not made certain sounds other than fry um, uh, purposefully. Uh, it might have been an emotional reaction, perhaps. Or, um, yeah, maybe I've put in a, a sound without really knowing that it was a sound that was classed as a vocal extreme. I thought it might be fun <laughs> for you to kind of guide me through something that a beginner could do um, and yeah, see what sort of sounds you can get me making um, mm -hmm. live on air, if you like, uh, so that we can see how it's implemented. So I'm going to move back a bit from my microphone. <laughs> Um, but yeah, what, what can you kind of, um, what's fun for me to kind of get my teeth into with you? So let's try the following. Uh, let's go into Falsefold, which I would say is predominantly what I'm doing with human beings, <laughs> or at least with metalheads. Um, and first thing that we're going to do is we're going to figure out how you clear your throat. Okay. So what noise you make when you clear your throat. Let me specify. I need a clearing of your throat that is strong so not the polite dinner party and i need you to start clean so i need you to give me a good m1 noise of uh, <coughs> and try clearing your throat do okay. that for me mm. uh, <clears throat> all right fun on a scale of one to 10, 10 being ultimate success. If you had breadcrumbs stuck in your throat and you were dying, would you survive if you did that? <laughs> no, I think I would have a loaf in my lungs by then, Good. probably, <laughs> yes. All right, so let's make that more violent then. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> How's okay. the bread <laughs> going? I think it's better. I think it's better. <laughs> yes, I think I coughed it up. Can you go more violent? I can give it a go. Okay. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> there we are. That's what we're looking for. That's your baseline. And that is our definition of light at the moment. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it's generally pretty violent. Um, we care a lot about it being violent. Because if it isn't violent enough, uh, <clears throat> arytenoids, that's not your false vocal folds. <laughs> that's your arytenoids fluttering at the back. So if your false vocal folds participate, they're participating extremely loosely. And as a metal singer, you don't want that. You mm -hmm. need pretty heavy noises. <laughs> so that's your first component. Your second kind of hurdle 
is to make that sound and sustain it. So if you've been going, <clears throat> you're trying to go <clears throat> and maintain it. Now, realistically, it's not necessarily going to sound like that <laughs> the first time you attempt it, but it might. For some people, it does. I'm anticipating some regurgitated yeah. sound. <laughs> so I apologize, listeners, for that, if I do that. It's going to be beautiful. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. I'll give it a go. Mm. Uh, <laughs> Hi. <laughs> okay. I felt like mm -hmm. I was going, uh, <laughs> yep. coming on and off the pedal. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's a very, very wobbly, weird place to live. Yeah. If I get you going a little bit higher, so if I get you on, uh, uh, go around up there, pitch-wise. Okay. Hmm. I love it. My husband's in the other room, <laughs> probably on a conference call. He's like, what on earth is going on in there? It's okay, I'm fine. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay. Hi. So what are you hearing when I do that in terms of what is your thought process? My thought process is that you're starting clean, you're clearing your throat, you are allowing your vocal folds to come too far apart, Mm -hmm. The pitch is wiggling microscopically. False vocal folds are approximating, but not necessarily making full contact with each other mm -hmm. at the moment. Hi. Yeah. That's good to know what you're looking out for and where you'd go yep. to kind of next. Yeah. So how long would that kind of usually, how, how long would you get somebody to play around with that? sound and how long does it take i mean, i guess it's how long is a piece of string sort of answer it's always how long is a piece of string but i would say i my hope within quotation marks would be that you will have figured out the necessary amount of violence <laughs> um within about two to three weeks okay of playing around with it every day, never doing more than 30 seconds a day. Mm -hmm. I, um, and then once you figure that out, another month or two months of balancing it, <laughs> balancing it and challenging it. And so about three months in, I would expect you to be singing a song like that. Mm. Yeah, so it's not like I'm gonna do it next and it'll be <laughs> it'll be there and clean. It takes oh, no. a while to, and I I guess that's because mm. the first time I cleared my throat, I was like, oh, I I shouldn't push that anymore. It was my it was my uh, yeah. self reaction going, oh, but we're told not to clear our throats, mm -hmm. so it's undoing certain yeah biases, I guess, or or whatever. It's undoing belief systems. Mm. Um, it's undoing belief systems and being very confused uh, <laughs> by statements. Because the thing is that different people clear their throats in different ways, mm -hmm. which is why, you know, you can't just say, oh, yeah, start by clearing your throat and only do that. There are some people where they'll go into a throat clear and you're like, great, let's never do that again. Uh, <laughs> let's do this different thing. <laughs> 
Um, but for most people, this is the most efficient way mm. to get into false hold. Uh, but then it's also, it's just weird beliefs, you know, like you'll go to a laryngologist and they'll tell you, don't clear your throat or don't cough for your voice. And then people don't ask further questions mm. and they're not like, why? What happens if I do? What do you mean, etc.? And so they never find out the full story and they don't kind of get this image of, well, we don't want you to develop a chronic cough or chronic throat clearing. We don't want you to develop it as a habit or think that this is the solution. So we're telling you not to do it. We're also playing safe by instead of explaining the complexity of life to you, we're just being lazy and saying, yeah, don't do it at all because then we're safe mm. and you're not going to sue us. Um, but it's, it, it's all of that. I mean, if you're choking and you're dying, you need to clear your throat. Yes. And if you've got like pneumonia or something in your lungs that needs to get out, you should be coughing. Mm. Like if you have a productive cough, you should be coughing. Mm. Um, and it's these weird black and whites where people are like, no, 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 never cough. Even if you're a singer, just go like, ah, ah. are you kidding me? <laughs> like if there's something that is in there that needs to get out, you get that out. First and foremost, it is a respiratory organ. Mm. And that is the primary concern. If that is functioning fine and all is well, yeah, then you can start doing the unnecessary cherry on the cake, never clear your throat. But if it isn't working well, you do what you need to do. Mm. Mm. That. And when you first start these, um, like that exercise with me, um, clear your throat and then try and sustain, um, is there something that um, you will say to people like it might feel like this afterwards or it might feel like this during or do you just allow them to have that experience and they they experience what they experience i allow them to have the experience and then depending on how innocuous or distressing the experience might have been uh we go into more detail about you know like if you most common things are burning sensations um tickling scratching mm -hmm. um and the most common one, which is, it felt fine, mm -hmm. <laughs> ironically enough, which is so weird. Um, but for a lot of people, it just feels like nothing. They're just mm -hmm. like, yeah, very fluttery. It's busy, mm -hmm. but it's not an issue. Um, and then we talk mm. and we get into the nerdy stuff. And then we get into the, the weirdness of the well. Your yeah. vocal folds don't really have pain receptors. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> so if you're in pain, could it be your voice in terms of anatomy and <laughs> physiology? Your false vocal folds do, though. Mm. They have pain receptors. So. <laughs> right. Yeah. Stuff. Interesting. Um, and there's always this kind of framing of you're trying to find it. Mm. You're trying to find it. You're not going to be singing on this coordination. So it kind of doesn't matter if you hurt yourself. So basically removing the paranoia around pain, because very often 
If you tell someone that they shouldn't feel any pain, they will start the gesture through tension. Mm. Through trying to control it in order to prevent pain. And it's like, yeah, no, don't, no, <laughs> maybe don't do that. Mm. So we want to kind of exist in a world where pain is natural, pain is allowed, pain is acceptable. And our goal is to eventually not be in pain. Mm -hmm. But we might need to move through pain in order to find the place that doesn't have pain. So again, not binary, not mm. this black and white. No, pain is always bad. It's like, mm, pain is very complex. Mm. Pain is predominantly, I'd say, giving you information and telling you this thing is not going to be sustainable for a long yeah. period of time. That, that framing. Yeah. And it's, I guess it's the same with things like cracking and, and, and that sort of thing. You know, um, some singers may say, I'm frightened of cracking. But as I soon as you cracking. twist that round, exactly, yeah, in, <laughs> in ways of like, well, actually, that can be helpful. It's telling you there's certain things that you might need to adjust, or you can use it as a purposeful emotional uh, yeah. implementation. Um, so if somebody said, oh, you know what, that actually felt like quite roughed up and painful, mm -hmm. your um, reaction as a teacher wouldn't be, oh, crap, I've damaged them. It would be, yeah. okay, let's try and work out of that yeah. let's see what we can do to reduce that yeah it's just both of us being like oh well that really sucks that must have been a horrible experience for you let's see what we can do about it mm. but don't worry about it yeah <laughs> i like it much less stress yeah <laughs> in the room less stress and less blaming mm. so very much being accountable in the sense that I told you to do this. I stand by the instruction I gave you. If you're in pain, I would rather you blame me than yourself. I'll take the responsibility for that. That's what I'm getting paid for. Mm. I'll shoulder it. Mm. It's definitely never my goal or my target to get anyone to be in pain. No. But I would rather they blame me for it than themselves. Mm. I always, always want the singer to maintain a very, very good relationship with themselves and to always believe that if something feels wrong to them, it is wrong in their body. I'm mm. not in their body. Yeah. So just the thought that I could even have an opinion on that is just gross to me. Yeah. <laughs> I really don't like it. I'm like, mm -mm, no, no, none of that. Yeah. So yeah. Amazing. Oh, thank you so much for introducing me to this, uh, this new thing for me. It's been really, really fun. Um, and you have a lovely YouTube series where you kind of go through some of these um, tutorials. So do check that out. We'll put a link for that in the show notes. Um, and where can people find out more about you and get in touch if they have any questions? They can find me on my website, ooh, which is my name. It is literally just aliki.katrio.com. I like dots. <laughs> yeah. I like a lot of dots. I'm like, yeah, bring on all the dots. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you so much. It's been really fun. Um, and I hope to catch up with you soon. If you're enjoying the Singing Teachers Talk podcast, 
And who are we kidding? Of course you are. Share the love by giving us a five-star rating and leaving a comment. Just head to the Singing Teachers Talk main page on the Apple Podcast app and scroll to the bottom to click Write a Review.